from the nation's capital, this is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Sipes. The title of today's program is The Challenges of Crime Reporting, and today's guest is Tom Mayer, Deputy Managing Editor for the Marshall Project at www.themarshallproject.org. Tom, welcome to D.C. Public Safety. Thank you very much, Leonard. Happy to be here. Tom, Marshall Projects has been around for about a year and a half, but for those uninitiated, describe the Marshall Project. Sure. Uh, the Marshall Project is a nonprofit news organization focused solely on covering the American criminal justice system. And the American very, criminal very narrow mission. And the American criminal justice system in terms of long-form journalism, correct? Yes, yes. That's that's a, a big part of our focus is on long-form narrative writing as well as investigative pieces um, and, and really trying to bring a uh, explanation to the system for, for folks that haven't haven't been inside of it. And the Marshall Project refers to the great Supreme Court jurist Thurgood Marshall? It does, yes. We, we took our name from him. Um, everybody knows, or many people know, that he was the, the first black Supreme Court justice. Um, but we were really inspired by stories from earlier in his career uh, when he was the um, counsel for the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund. Um, and a lot of the work he did uh, defending uh, uh, people in criminal trials. There was a book that came out uh, several years ago that won the Pulitzer Prize called Devil in the Grove that our founder, Neil Barsky, had read. Um, that was one of the things that inspired him to start the Marshall Project. And it's a story about um, Thurgood Marshall taking on a case in Lake County, Florida, defending four young men um, accused of kidnapping a woman and uh, sort of great injustice that, that befell these men who ended up having nothing to do with it and, and getting entangled in the system. And that's the whole idea behind his beliefs that under the law, the most fundamental civil right in a free society is protection under the law. So I would imagine that is sort of the mantra for the Marshall Project? Certainly, yeah. That, that's, that's one big piece of it is understanding that uh, that protection under the law is critical and that everyone uh, is treated to that equally. Now, the Marshall Project states, reading from the website, our mission is to create and sustain a sense of urgency about criminal justice in America. Why a sense of urgency? That's a great question. That really, uh, that part of the mission statement comes from before we even started, actually. I mean, when the Marshall Project was initially conceived was before a lot of the very high-profile news of the last couple of years. It was before um, the, the killing of Michael Brown uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, and, and many of these other cases that we've kind of been inundated with. Um, and there was a sense then that our founder had after reading Devil in the Grove and also uh, the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander that this was an issue that wasn't being covered, um, that it was something that was sort of in the background of everyone's lives without really being examined, and that there could be a role for uh, a new news organization to bring it to the forefront and say that, you know, this has been something we've been discussing almost since the start of our country, but particularly in the last 50 years, um, but that there wasn't a sense of urgency at that time that, um, uh, that there could be changes, that the system could be improved, it could become more fair um, for everyone. Uh, now, obviously, since we've launched and there's been all of this very high-profile news that has come about um, about the same time, it's, it's kind of a different landscape um, in the media right now, and, and we're hoping to sort of continue that, to continue 
um, ensuring that criminal justice is a part of the national conversation and that this is something we're all uh, aware of and, and discussing. But here's an interesting question. Whenever I do podcast, I do call uh, people from the country, from throughout the country, in the criminal justice system, in this case, speaking to my fellow public affairs people in criminal justice agencies. And the sense that I get from them is that the degree and the number and complexity of criminal justice coverage in terms of mainstream everyday newspapers of record has declined and declined considerably, and they attribute that to the decline in the number of reporters available uh, at any newspaper or television station or radio station for that matter. So the, the larger question is, is the Marshall Project coming in to supplement a lack of day-to-day news coverage that used to be the mainstay of newspapers throughout the country? Yeah, I, I certainly think that's part of the context. I mean, I, my background is in uh, newspaper reporting in, in different parts of the country, and I think a lot of uh, my colleagues here have similar experience in seeing that in a lot of the newsrooms where I've worked, there there are not as many reporters on the ground, um, and that there is not as much of the very robust, thoughtful, um, deep reporting on criminal justice and many other topics as well, uh, health care and education, um, because so many news organizations are not as fully staffed and not as big as they used to be. Um, it's also an opportunity for this new model of newsroom, um, much smaller, um, hopefully more nimble, um, less uh, focused on the, sort of the small incremental daily uh, daily news of the day, but be able to take a step back and do more of the um, more of the probing investigative work. Um, there are several other investigative nonprofit newsrooms over the last few years um, that have that have developed and are really thriving, and, and they certainly were part of what uh, inspired the Marshall Project as well. Again, from your website, our reporting includes deep investigative projects, narratives, and profiles that put a human face on criminal justice, explanatory and contextual pieces, along with guest commentary and voices from inside the system. You're doing that because it's not covered in most newspapers throughout the country. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you were to take out uh, the words criminal justice, I think a lot of our mission is what most journalists would be hoping to do, um, whatever their beat is, that they'd be able to do these sort of very deep, uh, these deep projects, that they'd be able to um, humanize uh, the subjects that they cover. Um, I think that a lot of newspapers... uh, just have been struggling to try to figure out how to stay sustainable, how to you know, become more profitable, um, and they they have by uh, necessity cut back on a lot of the coverage they used to do. Um, so I don't think that the Marshall Project is unique in in wanting to do that kind of reporting. Um, we are, uh, I mean, I think we're lucky to be able, to be able to do this in terms of crime coverage in particular. I think. It's sort of a mainstay of of every news organization, certainly every local news organization, is is covering crime in the community and covering the courts. Um, But many places have found that where they used to have a separate reporter covering crime and a separate reporter covering the courts and another reporter or a team of reporters doing investigative work, that may now be one person or might be part of one person's job. Um, And so we... we, um, certainly seen an opportunity where in many places there isn't as much of that reporting happening as there has been historically. 
Um, now that said, we do a morning email um, newsletter every day, I should say five days a week, and we do a special edition on Saturday. And a big component of that is rounding up um, the really good reporting on the criminal justice system happening around the country. Um, and we deliberately look for um, smaller news organizations and, and places you don't hear from all the time, you know, not just the New York Times and the Washington Post, um, but looking at places like the Village's Daily Sun in, in Florida, um, which has done a lot of reporting around uh, the death penalty there lately, and, and showing that there is still much of this reporting happening, and, and maybe it's um, a smaller percentage of, of what it used to be. Um, and so while we want to pursue it ourselves with the Marshall Project, we also want to support other news organizations to do um, this more kind of critical and thoughtful reporting on their own. In a prior life, when I was the director of public information for the Maryland Department of Public Safety, which included law enforcement, which included corrections, parole and probation, it was a huge agency, um, I was on the receiving end of rather harsh and numerous inquiries from David Simon of Homicide, Life on the Street theme, uh, and Bill Merrimo, who uh, won, a, 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 I think, several Pulitzers. I hope I'm not wrong, but I think he's won several. I mean, he went to Philadelphia and ran that huge series about uh, prosecutions and the lack of prosecution for violent crime in the Philadelphia area. That's the sort of newspaper coverage I'm used to from the Baltimore Sun, Washington mm-hmm. Post. I mean, hard-hitting, extremely knowledgeable reporters uh, who knew the criminal justice system up one side and down the other. Um, That's my background, and that's what I'm used to when I reach out and talk to my fellow public affairs people. Their sense is that was a bygone error. To a certain degree, that that may be true. And, and, you know, I grew up uh, in Baltimore reading The Sun. My my parents took The Evening Sun and, you know, David Simon and a lot of his colleagues, I was reading that um, as well. Um, And I think, you know, he's written quite a bit on where he sees crime reporting um, and investigative reporting in general sort of falling off um, from where it had been uh, when he was, you know, a daily newspaper writer. Um, in the 80s and 90s. Um, but I, I still think that it, in many places in the country, there are reporters that, that still have that mastery of the beat. I think everywhere, though, they feel that there's more and more pressure. There's less time to be able to do that kind of writing. One of the difficult parts about crime reporting is that it's constant. Um, there's always something coming. There's always news happening today. It's very easy to get pushed into the the daily cycle and never take a step back to be able to do more. Um, but I do think there are a lot of reporters in places like uh, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay Times, the Houston Chronicle, um, and other smaller startup news organizations like the Frontier in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, that are pursuing this kind of reporting. It, but it does feel sometimes like it's not as big of a piece of uh, the industry as, as it has been and as a, a lot of us would like it to be. And there's a lot of specialty bloggers and podcasters who are now moving into the space. So there's a gentleman uh, that does a blog called Grits for Breakfast out of the Texas area and reports on the Texas criminal justice system and wider views. And so it seems as if um, the crime report, the Marshall Project, uh, 
individual bloggers like Grits for Breakfast, others uh, who are now filling that space that at one time was was occupied by most major newspapers throughout the country. So there's the crime reporting seems to have to some of us seems to have shifted. And that's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. But it, it, it seems to have shifted towards specialty houses like yourself, like the crime report, like Grits for Breakfast. Um, sure. Yeah, I think that there is that sense that there's much. There, there are many more opportunities, I guess, um, to, to do this kind of reporting. Uh, I was listening yesterday to uh, a podcast um, from ProPublica, which is another nonprofit investigative news organization here in New York City. Um, they were talking with a journalist named Brandon White, who um, is an independent journalist. He's a freelancer. Um, in Chicago, and now he was one of the people pressing. Um, he's one of the people who filed the lawsuit to get the Chicago Police Department to release the video um, of the shooting of Laquan McDonald. Um, and he was saying, you know, he had worked at a newspaper, uh, I believe it was in Ohio or Indiana, um, but was frustrated with the daily grind of. Um, of what he could do at a local newspaper and left uh, to go to Chicago to be a freelancer um, where he'd be able to pursue more of these kind of stories. Um, So the economics of the the news industry, excuse me, have made it a little more challenging. Um, uh, But, yeah, it's also a much broader landscape. There's a lot more organizations and smaller ones locally. So every journalist out there, they want to be a Tom Mayer. They want to be a David Simon. They want to be a Bill Marimo. Every journalist out there wants to have the time, uh, the fortitude, the support of the editorial staff, um, the money, the encouragement to take a long-range view of crime and, and justice issues. So I would imagine there's a lot of very frustrated reporters out there who say to themselves, I would love to look into this harder and deeper, but I have three stories to cover today. Yeah, absolutely. I think in a lot of places, regardless of your beat, um, it's not particular to to crime reporting, but I'm sure it's the same in sports and um, in education or if you're covering City Hall, that the demands of of the news industry, and especially with the Internet, excuse me, and social media and all these other outlets, um, it's easy to get sort of consumed with what you need to do right now, and, and it's hard. It's very difficult to step back uh, and do the kind of reporting that we try to do at the Marshall Project, which is um, to, to tie the pieces together uh, nationally, to bring context to it, to uh, look at the data behind uh, various issues, um, so that it, it can have a lot more resonance for readers and also have a lot more um, impact nationally. We're halfway. Th- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Tom, go ahead. I, I was going to say, because one of the people, one of the main audiences we try to reach in our reporting, I, th- I think is probably the same as uh, many of your listeners, which are, um, you know, people who work within criminal justice, people who are uh, attorneys, they're, they're police officers, they're corrections officers, they're judges. Um, and for us to be able to um, write something that resonates with them and also gets their attention, it, it, it does take a lot more work to do that. 
We're halfway through the program. Today's guest is Tom Mayer, Deputy Managing Editor for the Marshall Project at www.themarshallproject.org. Um, Tom, I want to get on to larger views of the criminal justice system um, on doing the second half of the program. Um, there were four articles that you wrote uh, that I have read, uh, one on rape, one on life sentences for juveniles, one on correctional officers and sexual assault, and one on the declining number of executions. In all four of these articles, is there a common theme? There are probably several common themes. I mean, I think the biggest one is the um, is the complexity, that there are no simple answers uh, to a lot of these issues. Um, you know, as a young reporter coming up when I was working at my first newspapers covering the, the local police and the county sheriff, um, everything sort of seems cut and dry as I was learning and understanding the systems. Um, now, uh, later in my career, and as I'm examining more of these issues, you find they're very difficult. Um, they're difficult to sort of understand and difficult to see where they're working and where they aren't. Um, the, the first story you mentioned was uh, one I worked on with a reporter at ProPublica named T. Christian Miller, where we were looking at um, crime statistics, and we were it was sort of a sidebar to a larger piece about a rape investigation. Um, that uh, that came out in December, and this this piece that we wrote was looking at how difficult it is for police departments to sort of examine um, how often there are rape and sexual assaults in their communities because of the way it's counted. Um, that there was different methodologies, whether you were using the FBI's Uniform Crime Statistics guidelines um, or recommendations from other um, other agencies, and some states had a sort of very different way they classified sexual assaults. Um, and so you ended up with sort of a, a jigsaw puzzle with a few pieces missing, that it was hard to wrap your head around how prevalent is sexual assault. Um, and I think that's a common theme to kind of all the, the stories I end up uh, being involved in or working on where we, we know something is happening in the system. There might be a piece of the system that's not working as we expect it. Um, but it's very difficult and complex to sort of understand all, all the uh, forces at play um, and, and exactly how often something is happening. Because in a rape article, it was a redefinition of of rape, uh, which pushed up the the number of reported rapes or the numbers of rapes reported to the uh, FBI and national statistics. It dramatically increased the number of rapes. So it also caused more individuals to to uh, cause individuals or individual police departments to go back and reanalyze um, the, the sexual assaults in the past and to see if they fit that definition and reopen a lot of those cases. So just through a definitional, cha- a definitional change, major change occurred in the criminal justice system. Right, yeah, absolutely. But, but that was a result of decades of, of work and advocacy from outside of the FBI. Um, and there were some places, uh, the state of Illinois, I believe, and the city of Chicago, um, were not using sort of the, the original definition of rape that the uniform crime statistics um, had been using since, I, I believe, the 40s. Um, so there were, there were other organizations that were trying to have a broader definition of this class of crime. Uh, but because the national uh, organization that collects this data wasn't on board with that, um, it took 
like I said, maybe 20 years before they finally were able to bring that around. And we found that, in fact, there was a much higher prevalence of sexual assault happening in the U.S. Um, and it was a much more serious problem uh, that needed to be dealt with. When I talk to my fellow public affairs officer for this program, they're saying this, that a lot of media coverage of the criminal justice system they start off with this fundamental sense that there is unfairness within the criminal justice system. Uh, and I don't know if that's true, that's your perception, it's the perception of other reporters, or if it's our perception, but the sense is that it is a large, cumbersome system that takes away people's rights through an arrest, uh, through a prosecution, through sentencing, through parole and probation, and ultimately, possibly even putting them to death through capital punishment. So there is a large, somewhat in some consider it an Orwellian uh, system. Those of us on the inside never see it that way <laughs> because we occupy those rungs and we've been taught uh, constitutional history, constitutional law, and ethics all throughout our collegiate careers uh, in terms of you know being a good steward of that power, of not abusing that power, and, and warning that we could abuse that power if we're not cognizant of that. So that there's a fundamental undercurrent, I think, in a lot of criminal justice reporting, maybe in some of the Marshall Project's reporting, that the system itself is inherently unfair or could be inherently unfair, and that's why we have to cover it to the degree that we do. Am I in the ballpark or am I being silly? No, no, I I think that's a fair perception. Um, I think what we see is um, that there's the opportunity for unfairness, and I think our role is to, as journalists is to sort of twofold. One is to inform the public about newsworthy issues and particularly about public safety. Um, you know, is there a crime in your community? Is there um, an uptick in violence? Is there something that you need to be aware of? And the second part is to um, really examine how the system works, um, to explain it, and to uh, to be able to show where there are abuses and where there are failings in the system. Um, no system is perfect, um, and so our role as journalists is to sort of shine a light on the failures so that they can be addressed by our community, by our government, by our policymakers. Um, so, so I don't know that the I don't know that there's a belief that the system itself is unfair, but that there's certainly possibility for that, and it's something we're we're always looking for. Um, and I think what we what we do find is that. Um, in practice, that there is a lot of uh, a lot of unfair outcomes. Um, you know, one thing that we, another story that I worked on with a colleague here at the Marshall Project last year. Um, her name is Alicia Santo. Was looking at, and again, this is another story about uh, sexual assault, but in this case, in prisons um, in Texas, and finding that the application of justice there, and the, in, the from the investigation to prosecution. Um, was deeply unfair, um, particularly finding that uh, when prison employees and correctional officers were found to have engaged in sexually assaulting prisoners, um, that they were almost never held to account, um, that they at best were getting a slap on the wrist. Um, We found hundreds of cases uh, where this happened, and only nine of the correctional officers were sentenced to jail time. Um, I think a lot of people would say if that um, a, a public safety officer in a position of trust is sexually assaulting uh, their charges, 
um, and just find so few people that were were prosecuted and then held to account that there was some unfairness there. Um, so th those are the kind of stories we're, we're looking for. I don't think we go in saying the system is unfair, but we're looking for how does the system work, how can we explain it better, and when we find um, these issues where it's not working, we want to be able to um, bring them to light and explain them to our readers. Is it possible to paint us within the criminal justice system with a broad brush as to how cooperative we are when a reporter calls and says, I'm looking for data, I'm looking for a response, I'm looking for some insight, I'm looking for feedback in terms mm -hmm. of an incident that has happened with your agency? Are we good at it? Are we bad at it? Or are we somewhere in the middle? Um, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think it, it varies quite a bit. We, um, one of the nice things about working at the Marshall Project is since we're a national uh, news organization, we're covering agencies in, in all 50 states. Um, and so we talk to a lot of, um, and I talk to a lot of people, particularly in local um, and state departments of corrections. Um, I think by and large, most um, most people I speak with are helpful. They, they do their best. Um, they do want to help us um, find the information that we need. I mean, I think there's a, always a handful uh, of um, public information officers who are, for any number of reasons, are not, um, not entirely forthcoming. Um, but I, I would say in general, uh, I find that many folks try, um, try to help the press find the information that they need. Uh, the challenge we find is that the people that we need to talk with are not necessarily the people who know the system from top to bottom. Um, if I'm looking for data on a particular um, a class of crime being investigated or if I'm looking for information about how a certain, um, certain policies are being tracked, the public information officer I'm, I'm reaching out to, they, they probably don't know that. They have to do their own investigation within their agencies, and, and sometimes you get this sense that um, perhaps their colleagues are not always as forthcoming with them um, as they would like. Do you sense, as I do and the people that I talk to do, that we're saying to ourselves, you know, the focus today is on police and police officers and police officers doing something wrong, but in our own professional experience, 99% of what police officers do is right. Um, mm -hmm. So 99% sure. of what correctional officers do is right. Um, but nevertheless, regardless of the how we see ourselves uh, as protectors of civil liberty and people who would never do anything unethical, um, we have to come to grips with the fact that our counterparts do things that are wrong and and we must be held accountable within uh, the system. And that's the job of newspaper, newspaper editors. So even though we believe most cops, vast majority of cops are good human beings who are doing what they should be doing, uh, there are bad cops and that's your job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we, we would agree with that, that yes, m most, uh, the vast majority of uh, police officers, corrections officers, um, you know, prosecutors, uh, lawyers within the system, judges, um, are sort of people of um, good intention and they, they believe in the system and are doing the right thing. Um, the, the, the things we're looking for are when the system doesn't work, how are they being held to account and are, is the system holding them accountable in a very transparent manner? Um, you know, there's been a ton of reporting by, by other great news organizations lately around Chicago and finding that, you know, yes, it's a small handful of 
bad cops there that make everyone look bad, um, but they're not being dealt with. And they, they're, you know, have, there's a very small handful that have dozens or hundreds of complaints against them. They have lawsuits against them. Um, there's a sense, I think, from outside of the system um, in the general public is sort of as well as among journalists that there, there isn't enough transparency there and that are there concerns about how those sort of issues are dealt with. Um, and those, those are stories that, that we try to, to approach. So maybe the bottom line lesson on, in terms of um, uh, reporters or, or Tom Mayer would be if we were more transparent and more prone to, to be accessible and to have that discussion, um, maybe the negatives would not be as stringent or as numerous and maybe a more balanced approach to crime reporting could occur? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the more opportunities you have to sort of be forthcoming and say, you know, we know here's where the system isn't working. Um, we know this is an issue, and here's what we're doing to address it. I think it, it certainly helps make our jobs easier, um, and I think it does help tell the story, uh, the whole background of, of what's happening within the system and within an agency. I think too often when um, when there's bad news or a bad event happening, if a public agency is clams up about it, then all you have to work with is what's in the public record rather than having a sort of a, a person of good faith on the inside explaining, we know there's an issue, here's what's being done to address it. Um, that tells a more contextual and story that gives the whole picture. On that, we'll have to close Tom Mayer, Deputy Managing Editor for The Marshall Project at www.themarshallproject.org. Uh, we really appreciate you being with us, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you listening. Uh, we appreciate your comments. We even appreciate your criticisms, and we want everybody to have yourselves a very pleasant day. 